You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. It's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. As always, as, as I often do, I have a wonderful guest today, a sparkly subject matter expert all on sleep. I know that I am no good without sleep. And if you have a baby, a, a young child who is struggling to sleep, this is the episode you need to listen to. So I want to welcome Dr. Sarah Mitchell here today. Welcome, Dr. Sarah. Uh, she's a chiropractor by trade and uh, actually found her passion empowering parents to teach their little ones to sleep and parent confidently day and night. She's a sought-after sleep consultant in Silicon Valley where she works with busy executive parents and she's the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Helping Baby Sleep Method, The Art and Science of Teaching Your Baby to Sleep. She's a proud member of the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine and is currently contributing to research on maternal anxiety and sleep teaching. So since 2013, she has helped thousands of parents be loving, attached, and well-rested. And this is my favorite part, a Canadian girl at heart. She currently lives in San Francisco with her husband, son, and daughter. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you, Robin. Thanks so much. Well, I, I know that this is such a huge issue for parents. I know that it was one of my first and biggest struggles was the whole sleep, the whole sleep thing. Now I almost said the whole sleep training and I'm going to start there because you want to clarify that whole, this whole thing of sleep. So let's start with why you don't like sleep training and you, you want to like, you, you prefer sleep teaching. Yeah. I'm on a mission to move our, the way we talk about this away from sleep training, because it's so much more than that. We train our pets, but we teach our children. Okay. And Love this it. first opportunity many parents have to actually teach something new and work on behavior shaping. Okay. Mm. Training sounds very cold and rigid, but sleep teaching is compassionate and communicative and there's a huge difference. Okay. So can you kind of explain for those of us who really don't know what the difference would be? Sure. Well, I think people have this misconception about what sleep training even is, right? A lot of people think it's to close the door and not go back in. It's so much more than that. I don't do that. Okay. Okay. Sleep, good. Okay. People do sleep teaching when they reach a point when the way that they're sleeping has become unsustainable. So for example, my situation was that I had to nurse my son back to sleep like every two hours in the night. Right. That was just unsustainable. It also wasn't healthy for either of us. Mm. And I knew I had, to, I had to change things, but I didn't really know how. And here I was, I had all this you know, medical background and health background. And I was just like, so shocked that I didn't know how to get him to sleep mm. because sleeping is not really an instinctual, natural thing. The drive to sleep, yes. It is biological. We all have a buildup of a protein in our blood that signals our brain when it's time to sleep. Okay. okay. But the way we sleep is actually a learned habit. It's a hmm. learned habit. Think of it yourself. You, as an adult, you climb into bed, you find your favorite position and you turn off your brain, relax into sleep. But mm. if I told you tonight, you could not sleep in that same position and I'm going to take away your pillow, you would be uncomfortable. 
do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Right. You'd be uncomfortable, but you're, mm. you know, you're more complex. You would much more easily find a different position or you toss and turn for a while and then you'd relax yourself into sleep. You'd learn a new way to comfort yourself. Okay. Yeah. That's really neat. So, so then, so what is it that we're teaching that we need to teach our kids then? Like why, why, why do we need to teach it? Is it because yeah. of the, the way in which we live, the hours in which we're awake versus when we're asleep? Is that what it is? So not everybody has to do it for one thing. And that's because oh. people have wildly different needs, expectations, thresholds for okay. fatigue, time spent, that type of thing. Right. So the people that I work with who are often very much like me feel like I just can't go on like this. Like I'm, I don't, I don't even have time to shower or care for myself or I'm back to work now. And I really can't be getting up three times a night to rock, reinsert mm -hmm. the pacifier, lie beside my toddler. I just can't, I can't sustain that any longer, even though I love it. And it's so sweet to some mm -hmm. extent. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're spoiled here in Canada. We get an, uh, a year uh, of maternity leave. So you don't have to really stress about that going back to work. But for those who, who get just mere weeks, that is really hard to, to balance the two. Uh, so I can really imagine people would come to you in desperation to, to, to get some help. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've, I've done this in Canada and the US and in Canada, when I was there doing this, right, you do have that whole year off. So people came to me around eight or nine months. They're starting to get a little bit nervous about the return to work and maybe it's time that they should work on this versus right. in the US. It's like they hit the four month sleep regression. Maybe they were getting great sleep at three months, like six to eight hours. Then they hit the four month sleep regression related to object permanence. So their little person realizes that they exist, even though they can't see them and they call for them more to test that theory, right? Oh. So they start waking up more in the night, but it's often coincides, unfortunately, with mom going right back to work. Oh. And so they want to work on sleep habits earlier mm -hmm. in the U.S. generally than, uh, than in Canada. That's what I see. So what is it that you're teaching the baby and what are you teaching the parent? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it's not just about bedtime. People think it okay. is, or it's not just about that middle of the night waking you cannot learn something new in the middle of the night. It's really a very mm -hmm. systematic um, method to approach a problem, to set you and your child up for the greatest chance of success. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause we know that like sleep's a learned habit and how do you learn? You learn with repetition over and over again, but also not when you're completely exhausted. Right. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yeah. Right. You can't learn something new in the middle of the night. Okay. So what are they learning? Basically there's, there's, you know, the helping baby sleep method basically kind of has five pillars. Like the first one is really understanding that sleep's a learned habit. The second one is timing, understanding that at each age by month or by year, we have certain kind of windows where sleep can happen more easily. And if we put kids down too early or too late, that makes it harder for them. Right. The third one really is feeding, being an intentional feeder. Are you stacking the calories during the day at regular intervals so that your baby or your toddler can do long stretches of sleep in the night and being really intentional about that? Because you can imagine if you're a little person and sometimes you wake up and they rock you back to sleep. Sometimes you wake up, they, they feed you back to sleep. You're getting different messages about sleep. You never know what's coming. And so you, the behavior keeps, you keep waking up. You're like me as a, as a new mom and I'll try everything. Here's yeah. diaper change, here's feeding, here's rocking, here's, uh, I don't know what now, here's crying over you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And all those different responses, it's hard to learn because they're not repetitive and consistent. Mm -hmm. So you, your child falls into this gray area where they don't know what's coming, especially in those toddler years, especially. Um, the fourth pillar is messaging, what we're just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of like a bedtime routine, a nap time routine to cue your, your little person that sleep is coming and being very consistent so they understand what's happening. And then the fifth pillar is finally the responding. So if you want your person to be an independent sleeper, so the ability to be put down completely awake, not drowsy, not at all drowsy, drowsy, it's on the cover of my book, drowsy but awake is what sets us all up to fail long term, right? Because if you think about it, being made drowsy, that's the skill that your child needs to be able to do by themselves to be an independent sleeper. Okay. So can you say that one more time? One more time. Okay. Drowsy to... Drowsy but awake. All the books put your little person down, drowsy but awake. Okay. Okay. But it's, it, it, it sets us up to fail long-term because for a lot of people, that drowsy becomes like half asleep or dead asleep, okay? Mm. And then all humans wake in the night. We all surface randomly between sleep cycles. But your little one who was made drowsy wants that same feeling or thinks they need that same feeling to go back down to sleep. Oh, interesting. Okay, so, so drowsy, putting your child down drowsy sets us up to fail because when they are at the end of a sleep cycle and about to get into another sleep cycle, they will need that same comfort. And that's when they come calling. <laughs> okay. Okay. So how can, can we just uh, talk about a sleep cycle? How long is the sleep cycle? Yeah, the research shows that an infant sleep cycle is about five, zero, 50 minutes. Five zero. However, okay. at the beginning of the night, they'll often pass through two to three cycles before they surface. And, you know, the science shows that sleep cycles actually do vary by length, like there's no precision to it. And mm. what I see in practice is that a nap daytime sleep cycle is about 45 minutes on the nose. I see people complaining about 45 minutes all the time. And then at night, it's usually roughly three hours. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, that's, that's really helpful. Now I remember when I put my, when, when my babies were little, I would swaddle them because there was that, like, um, there was that startle, you know, the, the startle, um, reflex that they would have. Um, and there, so, so I, I always, you know, I always listen for those 20 minutes or so. Is, is that like, okay, am I crazy? Was that, was that real? Is that, is that a thing you talk about uh, where, you know, yeah. Okay. I'll the moral reflex and startle reflex is completely real. And that's the purpose of swaddling is to decrease that startle response where the arms and the everything extends essentially when they have a sudden movement or a, a loud noise. Yeah. They startle themselves awake. So that's why we swaddle them. Yeah. 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 So, so you do advocate for that. You do. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, Until good. your baby can roll or you want to work on self-soothing skills because they'll need their hands available at that point. And that's after four months. See, that's the other thing about baby sleep is people don't talk about what age groups in particular they're talking about when they're talking about all these things, right? right. Yeah. And so even when I'm talking about the drowsy but awake, um, you can work on that as early as four to eight weeks. So in the newborn stage, the newborn, helping newborn sleep, we talked about how to put your kiddo down calm but awake so you can avoid falling into that drowsy but awake trap. Right, right, right. And the idea is you still help, you still help your baby in that newborn stage, but hey, like it's basically what the snoo smart bassinet does. And if you're familiar with that, do you know about the snoo bassinet? I don't, no. 
it's a smart bassinet that's a, a flat surface. It swaddles your baby in and it basically rocks your baby and it escalates the rocking when they cry. And the idea is that it helps soothe them back to sleep. Yeah. Uh, that's the coolest thing ever. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, there's definitely benefits to it. You know, anything in the baby space is such a wildly passionate area. Anything in that baby yeah. space gets, you know, some significant responses in either direction. But the, yes. the method that I teach, like the calm but awake method, is the idea is you put your, down, your kiddo down awake like you would for the snoo, and then you use your hand and help your baby become fall asleep while they're in the bassinet or the crib. Well, so and I just saw you, you put your hand on uh, really on your on chest, your, on your heart, and you just sort of like, just rocked just back and forth yourself back and forth. So that's what you would do for your baby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really neat. So what, what did you call the method? You said the, um, calm, but awake method. Oh, calm, and, but awake. Yeah. And it's really for the newborn stage. Cause if anyone listening right now has like a six month old, they have to make drowsy. If you go to put them down calm, but awake, they will not be calm for very long. Right. They will cry immediately because they're like, I have no idea how to put myself to sleep right now. I fall asleep in your arms. You better pick me back up because mm -hmm. right? sleep's mm -hmm. a lot of habit. Okay. So the idea is that the calm but awake method, you can work on this. And people don't think about newborn sleep so much, right? And there's lots of good reasons for that. A lot of people are still struggling with breastfeeding and get weight, you know, gaining weight and whatnot. But there is a very short window that you can establish some amazing sleep skills from very early on if you don't have like reflux or anything else going on. That's what I did mm. with Violet. And that's what the helping newborn sleep method is based on that, that those ideas. And if you can do that, it helps you become an amazing detective and be that much more connected with your kiddo. Because mm. what I did with my son was he would cry and I'd be like, oh, he's hungry. And I would bring him to the breast and feed him and he'd always take it, right? But what I did with repetition is over time, I taught him that the boob was a soother. So anytime he was bored, hungry, tired, he wanted to nurse because yeah. that's what he'd associated with. And that's what a lot of my parents also struggle with. Yeah, it's tough, right? You just you just want to comfort your child, right? And I know, we, you know, when when I first became a mom, I couldn't comfort my son. He was just really tough, and that you know starts starts that shame cycle too, right? So you're not just dealing with um, tired parents; you're dealing with parents who may feel may have a lot of emotional baggage, you know, lots of different things going on too, right? And everything is worse when you're tired. Everything is so much worse. Everything, you know, um, and, and I remember it. I remember it so clearly just not being functional without it. So uh, you're a lifesaver for sure. So I, I want to go, go back to those five pillars. So you said, um, you know, the, one is learn, is that sleep is a learned habit. Two is timing and the sleep windows. Uh, three is feeding and stacking calories. Four is messaging, which is routine. And then five is responding. So, um, so let me ask you sort of a broad question. Then I have a couple questions based on these five pillars. So when, when, when parents are first having a baby, and, and for some people listening, they may have older kids and may, might be wel welcoming a new baby in. Because they're so, there are camps on, on multiple sides of, of things, especially everybody wants to weigh in, especially when the baby is brand new. Should you breastfeed? Should you, you know, bottle feed, formula, breast, all the things, right? And so sleep is no different, right? What about co-sleeping versus independent sleeping? Should a baby be sleeping with you for the first little while or should we uh, put them in 
a bassinet next to our bed or in a crib in their own room? What, what is really the best? And maybe that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is one better way. I think there's lots of different ways and you have to figure out what works for you and your family. And I think why the sleep thing actually is so difficult is that it's the first time, it's your first real like parenting challenge, right? Breastfeeding, there's like an anatomy and a physiology behind it, but like the sleep thing, there's now that you know that there's like a preference built in, right? And a messaging and a learned behavior built in, it really is the first time you have to work on shaping behavior and you're very tired and they're still very small. And you also have this like reconciliation that needs to happen between the way the vision you had of sleeping and parenting and the reality of it. Because mm -hmm. most of us would have envisioned ourselves as these like kick-ass moms, not that, they, we, that, not that we aren't already, but exactly. who had these champion sleepers that never cried, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not working out. And why is that? And why is it so hard to change that? Why does that hot water bottle that I put in the crib not work? Why did that extra top up feed not work? It's very frustrating. Mm. And it's because people are, are looking for quick tips. I get, I get thousands of messages. Do you got any quick tips? And I don't <laughs> because that's a system. It's an yeah. approach. You're teaching a new habit and it's not mm -hmm. something that you can fix over time, like overnight. Yeah. So if you, if you want to do it, you got, you're in it you're in it. And so I, I, I'm assuming that there's parents that you work with that have to unlearn some of the things that they've done. Right. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> undo Such that. Wording. Such good wording. So I often say sleep teaching should be called sleep reteaching. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause they're just winging it. Probably most, most people are just winging it, right. Not worrying about it for the first little while. And then, and then it's like, okay, now I got to get serious. Totally understandable. Totally understandable as well. Yeah. Cause you think you hope, you just want to hope that it'll get better. You don't have to spend that much effort researching and figuring out why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like what you said is it's when the sleep situation becomes, becomes unsustainable. Right. And so what, what I, uh, what I talk to a lot of parents about is, um, probably when they're done with you is once their kids are a little bit older, that they're resisting going to bed, that they are popping up, um, that they get even more hyper just before bedtime. And I want to throw this question to you, you know, would it have been easier for them to get their kids down into bed and to sleep had they sleep taught their kids at an earlier age? Ooh, that's also a loaded question because I don't want to like make anyone feel bad or guilt them or. Oh, oh I, and I didn't mean it like that at all. I, I, I well, did it sound that way? I didn't mean well, to. Well, I just, I, I think we're all doing the best we can and I don't want anyone oh, yeah. to have regrets in their parenting journey, you know? And so I think it's, it's, maybe the question is like, when is the easiest time to work on sleep habits? Could, you but, know. but I'm curious if one leads to the other, really, like it's, it wasn't a, a question, you know, meant to shame anybody that's done it. I'm just curious if, if are we struggling with our older kids because we didn't do it earlier and can we, like, is it too late by the time they're toddlers or how, how do we, um, you know, how do we now then transition into getting them to be good sleepers, well, right? Does it have to be learned early? No, it's never too late because it's a learned behavior. Okay. You can always teach them. So it's never okay. too late. And I do definitely see kids who slept really well and then they hit the toddler years and it all goes out the window. Mm. Right? Okay. So, um, so it doesn't matter. It's not necessarily one doesn't equal the other. Not, not necessarily. If I, if I could pick my favorite time to work on sleep habits is around five months 
because you have less variables at play. You don't have the same history of preference going on. You don't have the same variable of motor development happening or teething happening. There's less of those. So that's mm. kind of my favorite age to do it. Um, but then like, you know, it's again, when you feel like, oh my God, we just can't go on like this. We need to work on this. And most people, for anybody out there on the fence, most people say to me afterwards, I can't believe how much less fussy they are during the day now that Ooh. they're sleeping well at night. And yeah. every parent describes their kiddo's temperament as happy. And people are like, they're just that much happier because they're well rested. And we just all feel so much more confident in our abilities now because we, we, it's so much, once they're sleeping better, it's so much easier to be a detective when they are kind of off, if you will. Yeah. And again, when you're, when you're rested too, right? You have your, what's about you. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, how sweet is that? I love it. Your happy baby's even happier. Like, oh, there's just nothing better than that. Right. Um, so, um, so where do you start when you are starting to work with someone? What is the, you know, what is the, the first thing that you, that you look at? Yeah. So I get them to log a day of activity for me so I can see when they're eating, how much, how long it's taking them to fall asleep, when they're falling asleep, how they're doing that, like get the, all the details. Cause the, the, like the nuances really can tell you a lot. And I mm-hmm. have them fill out like a history form so I can understand. And you touched on some interesting points earlier, right? Like how tired are the parents? Did they have a traumatic birth? Was this an IVF mm-hmm. process? Is this like a miracle baby? All those things really p- play into it because you know, as my friend, the Stanford sleep doc says, like, we don't, we don't actually sleep teach babies. We almost sleep teach their parents in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Because it's all about how you respond to those, the, the, the protests of change, essentially. Right. So we start there and then we walk through like a plan and the easiest thing, and we're going to give this to your audience, right? Is timing. Yes. That's one no tier thing that you can work on right away is the timing of sleep. So like we talked about putting kids down too early or too late, it just makes it harder for them, right? Often if you have a, like if your kiddo's awake too long before bedtime, this is a common one that I see, right? Bedtime's based on what's good for the family. When dad comes home, it's like 7.38 or it's based on this idea of like a seven to seven schedule, which is very hard to achieve by the way, for the average person. And mm-hmm. they stay awake too long before bed and that increases their chance of night waking. Night waking. Okay. Oh. How? It's kind of like they're overtired. So when they surface from a sleep cycle, they cry to see, oh, they're like, oh, I'm so tired. Will someone come find me? They wake up more versus rolling it over into the next sleep cycle. Yeah. And so we can miss those windows and those windows do have clues though for us. Right. And so like rubbing, rubbing their eyes, yawning, the, the hundred mile stare, or I think it's that, that's what it's called. I'm a little out of practice. What else, what other signals and signs do they give us? Well, think of, I'm a bit skewed, right? Cause I work with really, really tough, overtired kids that have had a lot of problems. Right. And so those signs are actually really hard for parents to read because their kiddos were waking up three times in the night. Anyway, they wake up not feeling completely rested. So we actually focus more on the clock at that point. Right. But okay. for the average person, you nailed them, Robin, right. Kind of like that <laughs> glazed over look, um, you know, where I was easily engaging with your, my baby and making him smile. Now he kind of like looks away. He doesn't want to engage, but mm-hmm. then in the toddler years, and you touched on this earlier too, is like becoming wired. You're tired. Shouldn't your, your, your toddler's getting overtired. Yeah, it's your toddler's overtired. So then, okay. So let's say you have an overtired toddler or child and you've missed the window, then what do you do? Well, then you have to like really put on your patient's cap, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No quick tip there. Hey, (laughs) 
No, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so okay, so what do we do? With an overtired toddler? Well, yeah. really prevention is the best key. So next mm -hmm. time you're like, okay, this bedtime is too late for my little one. And that's the yeah. other thing people get, I, so especially up until like two years, I teach a flexible schedule. I don't mm -hmm. like fixed schedules where seven o'clock is bedtime every night because our children are changing so much in that time. A flexible schedule is the idea of every time they wake up, I'm using those awake times to project out when the next nap will be and same for my bedtime. And that way I avoid that overtiredness. And that way I know what to do if they poop themselves awake mid nap and we lost 40 minutes of nap time. I know that I need to adjust my bedtime earlier to accommodate for that lost sleep. So they're not overtired by bedtime. Okay. So you do take that into consideration. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I had read something when I was first a mom that sleep begets sleep mm. that, yeah. Okay. So, so having them have a nap and a longer nap doesn't mean that they're going to be awake all night. No, more sleep is better. Like people, that's what, a number, a very common misconception is that if they sleep too much in the day, they won't sleep at night. Yeah. It's really about like the timing of sleep. Like I trust my body. So if my body needs to sleep a lot during the day, there's a reason for that. I was probably up too much in the night. I'm hearing this mm -hmm. one recently about like, you don't let a newborn sleep more, more than two hours. I do not like that at all. <laughs> I do not like that at all. Let them sleep. Newborn sleep science shows that their sleep is highly irregular and that they will sleep anywhere three to four hour um, chunks over 24 hour periods. That's normal. Okay. Wow. So the only reason I would wake a newborn up during the day is it's been more than four hours since the last feed. And I want to stack those calories to help her or him get a longer stretch of sleep at the beginning of the night. So let's talk about stacking calories, because I think that's a really, um, I understand what you mean from my own experience, uh, but can you explain it? So in the book, I talk about the snacking cycle, and I know this very well because I fell into it too. And it's the idea for me, I come from an attachment parenting background, right? Like I wanted to feed on demand, co-sleep and all that. It just didn't work out for me. And so I had to pivot. And the first thing I realized was I was feeding him every two hours during the day. He was snacking. So he never came to the breast or I was breastfeeding at the time, but I see it with breast or bottle. He never came like really hungry. So he never had a big feed. So he would take one mm -hmm. side and pop off or at the bottle, he might take like two or three ounces and then be done. Right. And so then what happens is you introduce this variable of self-doubt. So when he's fussy two hours later, you're like, that feed wasn't very big. Maybe he's hungry. I'll just bring him to the breast again. And then I'm, again, I'm reinforcing that the, the breast is a soother. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the snacking cycle basically is that you're stuck in these small, short feeds throughout the day, which then end up wanting to happen through the night as well. That's yeah. Hard. You're, just, you're dispersing your calories all through the day. Mm -hmm. So in the book, we talk about like getting on a bit of a, a feeding window. It's not rigid, but like if you're feeding every two hours right now, Hey, tomorrow, why don't you try every two hours and 20 minutes and see if your child starts to eat longer. Cause I definitely see a lot of distracted feeders. Even at nine months of age, I have people that are like, no, he will not take more than four ounces at a time. And the first thing we do is check your nipple size on your bottle make sure it's coming fast enough. Cause if it's coming too slow, he gets annoyed and he doesn't want to eat anymore. Right. And then the second thing is looking at the interval of time between those two. It's like, Oh, well he fed two hours ago. He's not going to eat more than three or four ounces. He's not hungry. Right. Yes. This is for a nine month old baby. So that's kind of the idea of the snacking cycle. You want to like consolidate your feed so you can look back on your day and be like, okay, he ate four times, but oh my gosh, that, that was six ounces. That was seven ounces. That was a 15 minute breastfeed. Okay. You know, we're doing well. We're getting lots to eat now. And I can be more confident now that I can do at least a four hour stretch at night or longer. Mm. 
Okay, so there is something that I did, and I and I uh, I'm going to mention it because I'm not sure how you'd feel about it. Um, we did dream feeds, so we went to bed at eleven ish, right? I was pretty much had a bedtime at that point for sure, um, and we would just and and I couldn't nurse, which was you know really hard on me to know that I couldn't. I wanted to do it all, but I couldn't anyway. Uh, and so, so we, you know, just pick, pick one of the, mm. you know, the, the baby up, pop the bottle in and they'd take it and then put them right back to sleep, head, head to the side in case any spit up. But yeah. So tell yeah. me. Yeah. I like dream feeds and they have two different purposes depending on your child's age. Okay. So in that newborn stage, less than three months, the purpose is really to try and align your stretch of sleep with their stretch of sleep. So you feed them like you did when you're going to sleep so that you can both get like a three to four hour stretch at the same time. Yeah. Okay. After four months, when you're working on sleep habits and self-soothing, it's a different purpose. The purpose mm -hmm. of a dream feed at that point is to feed them, to get calories in, to help take out the variable of hunger when mm -hmm. they wake up the next time. So gotcha. basically it removes, I fuss and I get fed. Yeah. yeah. Because I was thinking, well, there's more, there's more to it. There's proximity to us that they're seeking. They could be hot, cold. They could, you know, be twisted in their blankets or when it, well, probably not twisted if they're swaddled, but still there's other things going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that you said that I, I want to come back to uh, is just in terms of when they wake up in the morning, when they wake up in the morning, how do you stop a child from waking up too early? What do you do? Because I, I, I talk to parents whose kids will regularly wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I, now, now I'll tell you that these are, these are older children. These are four or five-year-olds. Mm -hmm. I think it's partly boundaries, but I, I wonder if, it, you know, what, what you would say to that. Yeah. So there's a few reasons no matter what the age. So the first one is I'm overtired. So I stayed awake too long before bed. I woke up too much in the night. I wake up at a 5 a.m. sleep cycle because there's no deep sleep at that time and the cycles happen more quickly. I wake up and I'm tired and I just can't fall back asleep. Okay. That's the first one. Second one's teething. So even not so much for four or five-year-olds, but like toddlers, two, three, they're getting those second year molars. I surface mm. from the sleep cycle. I'm distracted by the discomfort in my gums and I can't relax down into sleep. Okay. For babies, the third one, and these also apply for babies, this is any rage, but the third one is motor leaps for, for younger children. So anytime someone's working on like pulling up to standing, rolling, uh, walking, I surface from a sleep cycle and then I'm distracted by the thought of that new skill. And either I think about practicing it or I want to practice it, but it's still distracting and I can't go back down. Okay. Mm. Um, being cold is another one. So our body temperatures drop. Our houses are usually pretty cold that time of the day. Mm. So I surface from a sleep cycle and then I'm distracted. I'm cold. I can't relax down into sleep. Mm. Um, and then is it a habit? One of those things started it and now it's stuck there. And going back to what you said about four and five year olds, is it boundaries? It could also be boundaries to some extent, mm. right? I have different pillars depending on the age, like in the toddler years, um, the pillars for helping toddlers sleep are like timing, like we talked about. Mm -hmm. motivation. So what's motivating them to want to stay in their bed or want to go mm -hmm. back to sleep mm -hmm. boundaries, right? Physical mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just boundaries in general communication, and then your ability to be consistent. Cause if you have a, a four-year-old and they wake up at five and some days you let them come into your bed to snuggle and doze. And some days you don't, you're giving mixed messages. They're going to keep trying until they figure out 
or they're going to keep trying because it's, it's a reward to that um, behavior. And if it's working for you, awesome. But if it's not working for you, then you're going to have to be, you have to going to put lean into it a little bit and do some work and be consistent and communicate change. Yeah. <clears throat> so how would you stop that from happening? Um, I, I guess you, you, so first you're going to look at why they got stuck there in the first place. And I, I it, and if it's okay, can we talk sort of more about an older child in this case? Like a, like a four, -year -old? four or five year old. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I say, check on is, are they still napping? Because if they're still napping and there's some four-year-olds that are still napping at daycare, they make them nap, um, that will interrupt their nighttime sleep and they might need less. And they might just be ready to wake up at that time of the day. You've, mm -hmm. you've stolen sleep from the night and shifted it into the daytime. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, then I would check about coldness because it, it's too early to be waking up, right? Then you want to ask yourself, what am I doing that's rewarding the behavior? Mm -hmm. Are they allowed to have screen time? Are they allowed to come into our bed? Are they allowed to watch TV? What is it? Mm -hmm. one of those I have things. one family where they have a, a young boy and he, he wakes up and wakes the whole house out, up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and they do still nap. And um, I, I think, well, how, how would you handle it if they do still nap? You try to take that nap out? Yeah. And you might spend a couple of days reducing it, depending how much he's sleeping. Like if he's sleeping two hours, I would like, you could just take it all away, but he will be so tired mm. <laughs> by 5.30 o'clock that day. So you might like work on just reducing the amount of, that he's napping and then get him down um, to no nap. And anytime you drop a nap, here's another mistake a lot of people make is they try and keep the same bedtime. When you drop the nap, your bedtime has to become earlier. Mm. So when you drop a nap, you're still trying to get like 11 hours, maybe even 12 hours for like a three-year-old uh, when you drop the nap overnight. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so thank you for all of this. This is great. Um, now, you you mentioned that there are three systems that govern sleep. What are those? Yeah, your homeostatic system, your circadian rhythm, and then the emotional cognitive system. So the homeostatic system is what we talked about with awake times. So this is pretty cool. Okay, so your body uses this molecule called ATP for fuel. So just breathing, digestion, your metabolism breaks down ATP. Okay, a byproduct of that reaction is adenosine. And that's the protein that builds up and then signals your brain that it's time to sleep. And you can imagine in the newborn stage till five months, your, your child is actually doubling their body weight when they hit five months. So their metabolism, they're growing exponentially. So they're burning through fuel really quickly, which is why they need more frequent feeds, why they have so many naps, right? Because the buildup of adenosine is happening more quickly. And then their rate of great, sorry, their rate of growth slows down and the number of nap and their daytime nap needs drops starts to drop mm. off. So that's your homeostatic system. That's those awake times. So okay. for example, like a five month old really can't stay awake more than about two hours before they become harder to get to fall asleep. Okay. Yeah. Second one's your circadian rhythm. This is the one most people think about, right? You get up in the morning, sunlight hits your eye, signals your brain to start your circadian rhythm. Cause it's actually a 25 hour cycle, believe it or not, but we reset it every day. Okay. If you, if you, yeah, there's studies to show that if you have rats like in a black room, it's actually 25 hours. So circadian rhythm. So as the sun goes down, that's when melatonin is released from your body, right? And signals your brain that it's time to sleep. And then the third system really is that emotional cognitive. So you can imagine if you're stressed, if you're busy thinking about stuff, it's hard for your brain to shut off and that'll interrupt your sleep. Or you'll wake up in the night and lie, lie awake thinking about it. So you can see the parallels here between like children 
and adults as far as our sleep goes. It's just different stressors per se, different thoughts. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. That totally makes sense. And, and uh, yeah, that's why we, we lie awake at night, right? When, <laughs> when we have too many bright lights on, too many screens on our face with the yeah. cir- circadian rhythms. And then, yeah, that emotional and cognitive, absolutely. Uh, and I didn't know about the homeostatic system. So that's really, really interesting to know. Thank you for that. Um, what are the two main reasons babies and toddlers struggle with sleep? Did we already touch on that? No, this is a good summary though. Two main reasons. One, I'm relying on something external to help me mm. relax and to sleep or make me drowsy. So feeding from a bottle of breast, sucking on a pacifier, then there's mm. like motion. So swinging, being in a carrier, being in a car or stroller. And then third one is touch. So being held, co-sleeping, being padded to sleep. I'm relying on all those three things or one of those things. So when I surface from a sleep cycle in the night, I need one of those things to help me come back to sleep. Right. That's the first reason. Second reason is now I'm, I'm in a bit of a sleep debt. So I've had these habits for months and now I'm overtired. So it's harder for me to fall asleep and stay asleep. That's that sleep to get sleep that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? It really is easier once they're more well rested to get them to fall asleep and stay asleep. Right. Okay. Wow. This is just so fascinating. Uh, I really love, I really love that you have dedicated your life to helping us parents who are so tired and um, just so overwhelmed. Like it is, it is, it is a gift to have someone like you really understand the science of it and uh, what the behavior of it. And I love that you say that this is like the first parenting that you do. I love it. I think that's really special and really sweet. And I'm jealous that you get to work with babies all day long because they're just the best. So, um, so, uh, but before I, I sort of wrap up and tell everybody the gift that you have for them, which we've touched on already, um, is there anything that you'd leave the listeners with any words of advice? How well your baby sleeps isn't a measure of how good of a parent you are. And you'll know when the time is right to lean into this and work at it, but that it is, it is a bit of a project that you have to set yourself up to be successful for. So take like three days that you're going to be working on sleep, start implementing these new things. If you have a, like a baby to three-year-old, let's say. Yeah. And it's okay to get help. Right. And if you, you know, if you're, you're, you are, embarking on this adventure to, to sleep, teach your child, you know, you may need help with your other kids or, or whatever. So, um, so make sure you get help and ask for help. Right. And I think it's so lovely that you're here to help us parents really, truly. Well, thank you. Well, that's why I wrote the book to be able to act like help more people, give them a step-by-step. Cause when I was going through this, I mean, we all buy like six books, right. And you're trying to like pull from each one or you find something that resonates with you. So I wrote the book to be, give people like a step-by-step, like here's what progress should look like. Here's mm-hmm. what you should do if this is not working for you. This is what success looks like so that mm-hmm. you know if you're making progress or not. Because sometimes it's hard to know. I mean, sometimes it's glaringly obvious. They're like, oh my gosh, they just fussed for 20 minutes and they slept seven hours, which is the longest that they've ever slept. And you want to do like a victory lap. And yeah. what's interesting is the feelings that come out is that like every parent is like, I'm so proud of my child. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of my child. It's such a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to you just got to get the ball rolling and get moving and plan plan for it. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think what you've done with your book is really vital for every parent. So helping it's called the helping baby sleep method, the art and science of teaching your baby to sleep. 
So this is available on Amazon. It's an Amazon bestseller. So please, if you know someone that is having a baby, if you are about to have a baby, please, please get them this book because it absolutely will help. And, um, and it'll, it'll, it'll save a lot of people. I'll tell you learning how to, to get my, my first child to sleep probably saved my life. I was in, it was really hard for me not to sleep. He was a kid that I just couldn't figure out. And so when we finally were able to, um, uh, to, to, to get him to sleep, it was a whole new world. And, you know, you just mentioned two people buy like six books, but it's not just the books. It's the contradictory, contradictory information you get from everyone. I remember in the hospital having one nurse say one thing and another nurse say the exact opposite of that. Like it's so confusing out there. So to have one resource that absolutely is based in science and behavior is really helpful. So I really hope people will, will look to you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you so you're much. welcome. And so thank you for the gift that you're giving us um, called toddler terrorism. <laughs> it's my favorite name ever. Um, tell me what that's all about. Yeah. So the toddler sleep terrorism guy is to help you with the timing, especially with those naps in there, because like we talked about, right, putting them down too early, too late, it's going to be harder. So the first thing to work on the easiest no tier thing that you can do is timing. So that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And that's at, uh, at the parenting uh, toolbox. And uh, you also have a link here for a sleep quiz, which you said is six questions to just sort of figure out where you're at, right? Yeah. If you're struggling. Yeah, give you a high five for something that seems to be going well for you. And one simple thing that you can work on tonight, that's for baby zero to, to 24 months. And it will also have a sleep timing chart in there as well. Oh, that's so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of this. And uh, I know that uh, I'm going to share this with everybody who will, who will listen and keep sharing it because this is so important and so helpful. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your, your infinite wisdom. I really appreciate oh, my it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.